Hi, this is Patty, and thank you for listening to this previously recorded episode of GalaxyCon Live. We'd also like to invite you to check out our other shows, Rock Around the Ring, featuring music and wrestling guests, and GalaxyCon Talks Comics, all of which are available now on Facebook, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are available. Welcome, friends and fans, to another edition of GalaxyCon Live, where we bring convention-style entertainment directly to you. And today, we are going back to the beginning of Power Ranger history with two members of its original English-language cast, and without further ado, let's bring them out. First, he is an actor and writer. Today, he joins us to talk about his role as the face and original voice of Zordon of Eldar. Please welcome David J. Fielding. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, hey, hey. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm not as big and blue as I used to be, but I'm all right. Oh, well, yeah, you're, look, you're looking at a healthier shade, you know, in the fleshy form, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely good to have you. Thank you for joining us today. And Happy next, And next, he is an actor, martial artist, and an EMT paramedic. Today, he's here to join us to talk about his time wearing red and gold as Jason Lee Scott. Please welcome Austin St. John. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hey, hey, we are well, sir. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, I I never got to be big and blue like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have spit out the gum before I got to the blueberry pie. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Uh, what I would love to know, and for just set a background for our audience, I'd love to hear how each of you individually got involved in what this led to believe, this enduring, almost eternal franchise. Okay. I had recently just moved to Los Angeles in the summer of 92, and had only been living there a few months when I got a, a message, a phone call from a friend who was actually working on this television pilot that they were filming. And she wanted to know if I could come down and audition for it. And uh, that's what I came to LA to do. I thought it was going to be just a, a regular cattle call that there would be like a thousand guys. I would go in and read and then never hear anything. But when I got down there to the Saban building that afternoon, I found out it was just me and another gentleman. They were going to cast it that night and shoot it the next week, which is completely unusual uh, at, from, from my experience. And that's where I learned all about this pilot they were shooting for Dino Rangers that I was going to be playing. Or I was auditioning for a the role of a 10,000-year-old wizard who'd been stuck in a time warp. And that was all the information I was given, and I was told to go. And... <laughs> the first gentleman went in and auditioned. He came out 25 minutes later, and I went in. I met the original cast, got up on a table, read the lines, and that gentleman right there, Austin St. John, said, uh, well, I think we found our Zoltar, which was the name of the character at the time, and I went home, and two hours later, I got the phone call, and that's how I got the part. <laughs> nice. nice. That's so, uh, you were in L.A. Uh, pretty, you weren't there for very long. You, you bagged a gig. Yeah, yeah. I had just moved there. It was It was very sort of serendipitous and fortuitous, and it was very exciting at the time. So, again, the, the, the key to key to entertainment business is make make as many friends as you can. You never know what somebody's going to tell you. Hey, I heard about something that's good for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Austin? Where did this begin for you? But about the same time, it really did for him. I, uh, yeah. in fact, I think Dave may have been more experienced in the in the world of entertainment than I was for sure, for sure. But uh, I think I had been cast maybe a week or two before before Dave. And I remember uh, coming in. I'd actually forgotten about it until he told me the story. And I remember him coming in, and the guy before him was was good, but he didn't have that, you know, there's could you could you imagine anybody else as as Darth Vader, James Earl Jones voice, 
it just had that voice. And I was like, man, that other guy definitely did not have what David has. That should be our guy. And uh, I guess they agreed with me because my opinion, I'm sure it wasn't going to slow them down. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I had started just before. I was, we had just moved out to Hollywood. Well, not Hollywood. I was living in Whittier, California. I had to drive two hours into L.A. I heard about this audition that had come down in the newspaper. And they were like, hey, man, uh, I was working with an acting coach. We were trading martial arts lessons. I was giving him lessons. He was exposing me to his acting clientele so that I could bring new students into my dojo. And uh, I thought, okay, you know, cool. And he heard about this audition. It was a cattle call. It was advertised in the paper, you know, thousands of people. And uh, he bet me 20 bucks. I wouldn't be wasting my time if I went in for the audition. So I took the $20 bet. Wasn't an actor. I was in high school. I was a teenager. I definitely had attitude. The rest was history. Five, six auditions later, we uh, for a pilot. It was just a pilot. Yeah. My character's name was originally Victor. We were we were on the road to to craziness, and uh, here we are, 26 years later. I think all of us blessed and still a bit baffled by how it all happened. Uh, and to put things in historical context, uh, in, in 1991-92, 20 dollars went a lot more than it uh, does today. So that was a pretty hefty bet. You could fill up your car for 20 bucks back then and yeah. a big V8 engine for 20 bucks. Not today. <laughs> yes, you could. Yes, you could. Wow. So you had uh, six callbacks. Uh, were those like broken up? Like there was one that was all physical and then maybe another one they had to do some yeah. line readings? Oh, yeah. The, the first audition, which was the only audition I'd ever encountered, they, uh, they had a, a whole big group of us and they said, how many of you know martial arts? And, you know, we all kind of looked around and you could see the guys whose arms went up. You're like, Yeah. Yeah, the girls, you're like, yeah. And then you see the guys and girls who were like, and you knew immediately. You're like, okay. And uh, they just had to step forward. And they're like, show us show us your spiel. And so we did our spiels, and um, that was the first audition. You know, and true to form for every audition, they're just sitting there and, you know, like picking their nose and taking notes. You know, you could have been, you could have been flying in the air unassisted for 20 minutes. And they're like, saw that this morning. Yeah. you know i mean it's so it's just that was the feel and i went home and like dave i had a uh, i had a recording back when there were still answering machines like real ones the big yeah. box and it said uh, we'd love to see you back tomorrow at noon and it's just continued from there uh i suddenly have an image in my head of someone earnest uh during the martial arts thing maybe there was somebody please tell me somebody did the crane kick from karate kid <laughs> I did not see that. I would like to have seen that. That would have been that would have been uh, that would have been pretty epic. <laughs> Absolutely, would have yeah. been. So, how at, awesome at, would it have been if Ralph Macho had actually auditioned for Power Rangers? That would have been pretty wild. And if you told me then I was going to be signing autographs next to him twenty five years later, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> so, when, when did you actually get the the confirmation that uh, okay, kid, you're you're, you're the Red Ranger? So the last audition, they had narrowed us down to three casts. We had a tall cast, a medium height cast, and then the short cast. Clearly, I was in the eight-foot-tall and bulletproof cast, or the short cast. We had this final audition. They brought in the heads of 20th Century Fox and uh, the Saban Entertainment Group, and there was this huge horseshoe in this massive room upstairs at the Saban building. I don't know if he bought it yet. No, I don't think he bought it yet. He wasn't a billionaire yet. We helped him with that. Yeah, Dave and I. We, we, I'm still waiting on my check. Did you get a check for that, Dave? I didn't get a check for that. 
Okay. All right. I was just checking. So anyway, um, they had us up there, and I had this huge choreographed fight with uh, with a guy by the name of Yamashita Tadashi, who was he'd done all the choreography for the Rising Sun movies with Wesley Snipes. Oh, guy was a legend. Eighth Don and Wataru. Guy was great. And long story short, we did this huge fight scene, and uh, the directors. There was a scene where he kept telling me to go faster and faster. I never had. I finally gave in at the actual scene, and I drilled him right in the face, and he just went sailing and uh, hit the ground, came up, you know, like a champ, took it like a champ and made it look good. We finished the fight. I was terrified for my life. And at the end, we got a standing ovation from everybody. Like the best fight scene we've seen all day because it was real. <laughs> I thought he was going to kill me. So uh, after that, I remember the director, Strath Hamilton, going, hi, kid, that was great. You nailed that one. I thought we've got you. You're going to be what magnificent. We're going to put you together. It's a wonderful. Good job, man. Just went outside. And then I had to wait outside with him, and I thought he was still going to kill me. So it was uh, that's how that's how it happened. <laughs> Outstanding. And then they say, "Come back on in. We're going to audition guys for uh, for Zordon." <laughs> a little, little while later, yeah. <laughs> that that's that's unusual to yeah that sort of circumstances. During the process, considering the technical difficulties, did you guys were you guys ever at the same place at the same time during filming scenes at one point or? David, were you just come on in, record your lines, and then then done? We were, because my character was only filmed one time, we were only on set together one time. And it wasn't really a set. These guys got to go to multiple sets throughout the series. They would be in the juice bar, or they would be in the park, or they'd be at the command center. Where we filmed my section of the pilot was just some warehouse in North Hollywood somewhere. (laughs) And it was uh, like a big airplane hangar, and there was a green screen, and I remember it was like the last day of shooting for the pilot, and most of the crew was sick. They were, you know, sneezing or or whatever. They they all stood like 50 feet away from me, <laughs> and uh, I was alone in a chair with a, with a towel across me and green latex paint, and they had all the lights shining on me, so the only thing I could see of Austin and David Yost and, and Walter Jones and Amy Jo Johnson and David... Uh, Audrey Dubois, the, the original cast, uh, was just these silhouettes, these outlines, and uh, we traded lines back and forth three or four times. Uh, we, you know, we did the scene, and then they had me do like a bunch of different takes of facial expressions, which I thought were just you know sort of like alternative things. I didn't realize that they were planning ahead to <laughs> not ever have to film the character again. They would just recycle it over and over. But that was the only time that we were ever on set together, and then through just the the day-to-day process of how things worked we didn't meet again for like another 24 years and I to say uh, it was it was really wild i mean i would go in and do the voice every 5 or 6 weeks you know depending on how many episodes they had shot in the can and these guys were working their butts off 17 hour days you know week in and week out and you know so they put in a, a lot a lot of work on that show you know absolutely Absolutely. And I, I think its legacy is an absolute testament to that. Speaking of, when did the two of you individually begin to realize that the show is it was a success? But when did you think that it was starting to actually eclipse expectations of a success of the, for the time? I remember I, I had left I had left Los Angeles and I was back on the East Coast and I was walking through a mall Christmas time and KB Toys 
was just being swamped by all these people. And I was like, why, why is everybody rushing towards KB toys? And went in there and, you know, everybody was asking about Power Rangers toys. Where's the Power Rangers toys? I want to get the Power Ranger toys. And that was the first time I saw the power dome that had my face on it. And all that. And I was like going, Oh wow. I guess this thing is pretty big. <laughs> that was, that was my first real indication. I know these guys who are actually out there, they knew, they knew a lot. Uh, of how it was going to be then. Yeah. You know, for us, there was always such a, they always wanted to maintain so much control, you know, over, over the cast because they didn't want us getting these, these big heads. And I can remember Walter Jones and I, we were on set. It was late as usual after dark, we'd had 16 hour day and I'm sitting in a, you know, in the chairs you typically see in Hollywood sets with the high back and the cloth seat. And I had my Red Ranger suit uh, down, tied around my my waist. We were in the command center, but this is Dave wasn't there. We were just looking at a big glowing orb on the wall. Uh, sometimes just a sticker of tape on a black curtain that was Zordon. And I remember it was just Walter and I, and we were waiting on them to finish setting the lights to shoot our last scene. And down comes uh, Jonathan Zakora, who was a producer at the time, mm-hmm. and he walks in, and everybody's tired. And he's like, hey, "Guys, guys." Uh, I want to let you know that uh, your show is number one in the world. Number one children's show in the world. Good job. Good job, guys. And Walter and I are sitting there and we're reading and we look at him. And we look at each other and he turns around and goes back upstairs. That was, <laughs> that was the glory in our first year of filming because we shot five days a week. Uh, a week. We did ADR on Saturdays. So, so by the time Sunday came around, it was... Maybe work out and sleep. Yeah. So the first time I got to see it in public, I got totally mobbed at a mall. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to expect. I was so clueless. The very first exposure had no glory whatsoever. Wow. Walter told me the story about the uh, infamous, I think it was the first live appearance in costume at Universal Studios and how you guys shut down the highway. That was a whole nother thing. Um, <laughs> they broke Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. They began to understand we were supposed to be in the smallest theater on Universal property, held maybe a thousand people. We were going to do one show. People started camping out two days in advance. And they thought, gee whiz, we might have a problem here. And so they moved us to the biggest theater which I think sat five or 6,000 people. The same theater they put Madonna, MJ, Aerosmith, like the big dogs in. And we started hearing, they're like, you know, we, I can remember Shuki. So, you know, we maybe, maybe how would you feel about doing four or five extra shows? How would you feel about that? Is it, is it good? You have no problem with this? Of course, we would pay you extra. And that accounted to like, you know, hey, we'll give you a lunch, a lunch break. That was extra. We did it, and I can remember trying to get in. They called us early, early that morning. They're like, "You have, to, we've got to come pick you up hours and hours ahead of time, or we're not even going to get you in." So I remember seeing the sky, the sky helicopter. The local highway in front of it was backed up for like eight miles. They had the sky cam, and it led. Tom Brokaw did a story on it that night, and it was hilarious. Now, especially watching it in hindsight, he's like, you know, Tom Brokaw style, and blah blah blah, the news. And, you know, finish. And then he launches into the whole Nancy Kerrigan thing, which was all over the news at the time. Oh, yeah. And he finishes up and he's like, and well, what could top that? The Power Rangers. <laughs> and then he launches into all this aerial stuff. And 
fans going berserk, and I just thought, I don't really know how I feel about being let in by Nancy Kerrigan, but okay, good time. <laughs> Eddie, you mentioned about it. What was what was it like the first time you saw yourself in the toy aisle? <laughs> it wasn't the toy aisle. Uh, they oh. walked down one day and they told us that we we had heard about the toy line. And they walked down one day and they handed us this little triangular box and they handed one to, I may have been with Walter again. I don't remember who I was there. And they handed it to me and I'm looking at myself and I see this Red Ranger doll and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I see a picture of me in the corner. And that was when I was positive that my opinion didn't matter because I hated the photo and they certainly never asked for my permission. Right. And I had a you know typical comb over, you know, it was an 18 year old boy cut. It was horrible. But even though I hated the photo, I remember sitting there going, wow, I'm on a toy. Like I, this is like my Superman doll as a kid or my Spider-Man or my GI Joe doll. That's what this is to, to kids today. It was pretty mind blowing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and David, it took a while. They, they put out a smaller one of you, I think, in the in the, in the Bandai days. But uh, just recently, Hasbro put out a really good figure of Zordon, finally, that two-pack. So yeah. you finally got some toy justice. I, st I still don't have any movable parts. But, yeah, at least I'm, I'm part of the Lightning Collection, and that's pretty cool. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully, it's been, you would be, hopefully you've been putting a lot of autographs on that piece. And, <laughs> and, ho and hopefully more when society unpauses itself and we can get you guys back on our stages in front of your audiences. Uh, we're really looking forward to that. What's been one of your most enduring memories of just being a part of, of all this? Just any time that we have a fan interaction, it, it's always memorable. I mean, those are the people that, that keep this thing alive and it, it means so much to them. And knowing knowing that you're part of something that, that brightened people's day is, is just really, really uh, something that lift that lifts you up. I mean, you know, if, if I'm having a bad day or whatever, I'm always constantly reminded that you know people really enjoyed the show and and they still talk about it today. So that that's my like my enduring memory of of what the show is and what it's become. So. Mine's not far off that same mark. I mean, I, Dave and I've been around the world and we've met fans of many cultures and races and and religions and you name it, we've met them the show has no boundaries. You know, it's something that has been loved in 40 countries and 90 languages that, I mean, family guy, Star Trek, Star Wars, maybe are the only three off the top of my head that come to mind who span that, that sort of family. I guess, you know, I mean, Dave, you know, I think about how many times I've been at a table next to Dave and fans have come up and told me stories that have brought me to tears. Yeah. You know, where it just, and they end it with something to the effect of because of you or because of one of you, you're how I got through this horrendous time as a child. Yeah. You, you were my 30 seconds of joy in a household that otherwise was not, or you were the guy I wanted to be, or she was the girl I wanted to be. And it, it's, I guess as you know, one day you, you think about being a parent or you're going to be a parent. You expect to hear that. You want to hear that from your children, but to hear it from millions and millions and millions of souls around the country that you maybe have never met yet. It, it's a humbling experience. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to hear how many stories of, of how we've inspired people to go on and, and, have careers that help other people so that, yeah. you know, we, we may have touched them, but then they've touched other lives. So it's just this interesting 
ripple effect that continues on and on. And, and that's something really great to be a part of. And now they're teaching their children. So, I mean, it's not, it's not done yet. You know, we're three generations and growing. I just, it's just, wow. It's yeah. just, wow. Yeah. I've seen both you gentlemen at your tables. I have seen you take such great care with your fans. You absolutely, you absolutely make each one of those moments like magical for them. And it's, it's always, a, I always love walking by the power ranger section. See, it's all together, but I just, I, I love seeing, I love seeing the variety of, of just the stuff they bring to you guys. You know, most people just have, all right, sir. Okay. Here's a phaser for the Star Trek guys, but I see the helmets, I see the costumes, I see the props, the toys. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to see you guys, guys work. And I thank you for that. Uh, you know what? I just, I'm, I thank the fans. I really do. Absolutely. And speaking of fans, I think we've got enough from our chat room. So let's go ahead and roll uh, Jude, our amazing producer. I'll ask him to roll the first one from TJ Smith. Austin St. Child, what was your favorite moment and person to work with? Boy, I had a lot of moments. Uh, <laughs> 120 plus episodes. That's a lot, a lot of moments. So I don't know that I could pick just one. Favorite person to work with? But probably... Probably would have to have been uh, Twee Trang. She was an amazing, amazing person. And uh, I know that her work and her love and her passion for her role are still felt around the world. So um, she probably would be the number one person for me. As far as my favorite moment, man, there's so many. I love being in the episode where Walter Jones or Zach had a huge tarantula put on his shoulder and he totally flipped out. But because he was acting, he could say he was acting. But we know on the inside, he was losing his freaking mind. So probably a favorite moment. I had other moments where there were wardrobe malfunctions. You know, the first suit they built for me. Because I was I was built. I may have uh, thrown a kick or two at different times. And uh, had a few instantaneous wardrobe malfunctions. So those are probably some favorite moments. I'll wait for those to come out on bloopers one day. <laughs> you know, Easter eggs somewhere in the episode where my communicator broke. Normally we would answer the communicator like this. Yes, sort of. Come in. You know, the next, you could always tell when I just got a fight and my commuter was, or communicator was broken and I hadn't had time to repair it yet because I'm holding it down here, holding the chain together. <laughs> so those are some favorite moments. I mean, there's a lot. I could go on and on. No problem. Actually, uh, David, do you have any favorite moments you can recall? <laughs> well, I mean, my favorite moment is is always the, the first episode of the show when Zordon calls them Power Rangers for the first time and introduces the world to these five exceptional people that are that are gonna you know uh, fight for them and and stuff so that that's always my favorite uh my second favorite moment is being welcomed back into the family after being gone for 24 years and they're not being like a moment's difference it's like we knew each other we'd been around and uh so that's that's my second favorite moment. yeah awesome. it's a brotherhood yeah. definitely tj thank you for that that was a great question well what what's next from jeff Ah, were you able to keep anything from the set? Are there any police on this stream? I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I think we're past the statute of limitations at this point. Probably, yes, yeah. <laughs> Dave, go ahead. Uh, I didn't take anything from the set. I left all my hair there, though. Uh, <laughs> they, they shaved me bald, so... Uh, oh, really? Okay. I, yeah, I, I left all my hair. I didn't take anything. <laughs> <laughs> Fix that real quick. I'm surprised Austin, I have any left. And Austin, you stole a lock of his hair from the floor, right? Man, I'm telling you, I watched him shave his head clean and then just paint him. It was it was a process. I'm like, wow, that's special effects. First time I'd ever seen it. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so, do you uh, do you have any trinkets? No, man. I uh, I should have. Damn it. I can I can think of a few cast members who have acquired some items. Uh, some who will flat out admit they completely stole them. Others that are like, well, you know, this is what happened. Uh, I don't have any of those stories, but right. I really wish I did. This prop fell off the back of a truck. It just <laughs> yeah, I picked it up. It was right in front of my house. I don't know what happened. Well, and again, given uh, given Mr. Saban's reputation, I, I I imagine he might have been a little uh, secure about anything going out the door. Yes. <laughs> Jeff, thank you for that one. Jude, what's another one? From Leslie, is there someone that you were starstruck meeting at a convention? All the time. I mean, the first time I met Sam Jones, uh, who played Flash Gordon, that that was a that was a big moment for me. Flash Flash was a a film that I adored from the early '80s, and so uh, getting to meet Sam, who's an amazing person, yes, uh, who who still remembers you uh, every time you see him, and that he calls me by my first name is just, it just still blows my mind. So uh, there's that one. Meeting Summer Glau was also awesome because I love Firefly and, and uh, you know, she's in that. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of them. I mean, you see some of these people that you grew up with or that you admire from a distance and you may share a meal with them or you may share a conversation in the green room. And, you know, you find out that, you know, they're really close to, to you. They're, they're just a regular person and they have their ups and downs and their, their concerns. And, and uh, it's really nice to remind, to be reminded that the mountain really isn't that high. It's, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, your perception of it. So it's really great. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to set up a lunch with, uh, with you and Sam. We'll get, we'll get lunch or dinner somewhere. I didn't know you knew him. <laughs> great guy. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, I haven't met anybody that, that blew me away. I've, I've never, uh, I mean, I've asked for autographs for family members. They're like, you're going to be at a show with Tom, Dick, and Harry. Oh, my God, would you give me an autograph? So, I, I mean, I've done that. But for me, I'm not an autograph guy. I think, I think the one that I would love to meet that I have not, I wouldn't lose my poop. I don't want an autograph. But it would just be nice to shake his hand, Chuck Norris. That's a guy. I mean, I grew up. Chuck, Chuck was the guy I wanted to be. When it wasn't my dad, it was Chuck, you know? So I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, I've been in a bathroom one urinal away from uh, Chet Lee and Donnie Yen and, I mean, some amazing martial artists. But you can't exactly just strike up conversation. So, hey, man. I, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what I was saying was uh, I love your martial arts. You're just really great at kicking. I mean, you know, I mean, it just wasn't the time and didn't happen. But that would be cool. Yeah, Chuck Norris is on my my list as well. I hope someday to host him. I'm a huge Lowell McQuaid fan. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and Sam Jones is a great friend of our shows. A host of yeah, Salt of the Earth, wonderful guy. So good, gentlemen. Good selections. Good selections. Leslie, thank you. That was a great question. And Jude, what's next from Danielle? How was it working with the original Alpha Five? Uh, well, I, the only Alpha 5 I knew was uh, Richard Horowitz, who was the voice. There were a number of times when I when I met Richard in the booth, and uh, we were able to work together. Uh, the same with Barbara Goodson, who was the voice of Rita. I never got the chance to meet the girls inside the suit until we started doing the conventions. So that's where I got to, to meet Petra and Sandy and forget the, the other one. Mm. But uh, I know that there were at least three in in the suit, so... 
Yeah, I, I think for me it was it was a completely different experience. I think of Alpha Five, and I always think of Romy Sharf. Yeah, Romy. Yeah. Romy was uh, she was the the first one in the suit. Yeah, and uh, I just I always remember you know little bitty redhead full of personality, always always positive. And when you see what goes into stuffing these girls, and she, Romy was short, but she was uh, she was very buxom. So um, seeing what they would do to put her into this square suit, and she was not square, just took me to a whole nother level of respect for what she was willing to go through, uh, and and other women like her in in the industry to do her job. And I, I just, I remember always feeling for that girl because she was, it was torture. Uh, I, have a question. I have a question. During the filming of the episodes, was she allowed to say anything or was it all just all mine? Because I know yeah. that the sound on the set had to be uh, a certain level. Did they allow her to talk or anything or did she have to be silent the whole time? So that's why when, when I found out that Richard Horvitz was the voice, I was like, what? Because I never talked to him on set. He was a voice guy. So I never, I almost never spied. Romy always read the lines. She knew the lines. She knew them cold, and she had to because in that damn suit, she couldn't break out her sides and double check them on set. They weren't going to let her break down her suit to look at lines all the time. Occasionally, she might have to call out for a line, but it was rare. So when I heard Richard Horvitz's voice for the first time in my ears when I went to go do ADR, I was like, "Who is that?" <laughs> Not Romy. Why'd they replace Romy? Where's Romy? What the WTF, mate? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I saw how hard she worked and then I felt like she got the shaft. But on the other side, Richard Harvitz did an amazing job and people loved it. So uh, it was a balance of two talented people, neither of which they got the credit that they fully deserved. Yeah, we just had Richard on a few weeks ago to talk about summer school and some of his other projects. And yeah, just absolutely wonderful guy. We hit it off great. I imagine about her, her getting her in the album must involve duct tape. Lots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So credit for her. Hopefully we can get her on someday. So Danielle, thank you. That was a great one. Jude, what's next? From Ava. Okay. The best behind the scene moment or possible blooper. I, like I said, I mean, you know, uh, the best behind the scenes moment I had was the the day that we filmed, which, and there wasn't really a whole lot going on. I, re I remember everybody applauding at the end because, Everybody found out that that was my first project, my first official job in LA. So I got I got a round of applause for that. But it was it seemed like a very normal section of time that we were there. There was nothing that was outrageous or anything that you know. There weren't any bloopers where like the sound boom would come in and and the microphone would block my face or anything like that. And because there's no action, because <laughs> Zordon is just ahead. I mean, you know, it was there was nothing to really sort of physically mess up. So uh, I don't have any bloopers, um, unfortunately. Well, I think, you know, I'll go back to the whole Walter Jones and the spider thing. I remember before we shot the scene, they were like, hey, you know, we talked to the spider handler and it, I mean, a tarantula, big hairy beast. It was as big as the handler's hand, which was definitely bigger than mine. And he's hard morning, like, yeah, I fed him this morning. There's no problems, blah, blah, blah. He's eating he had nine crickets for breakfast, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, great. And uh, he goes, you know, you don't need to worry. They're very docile. Walter held him and he crawled around in his hand. I held him. Super cool. A little creepy. You're like, you know, is this thing going to eat me? No. And it's just very chill, very docile. And uh, he goes, and you'll always know when the spider's going to attack because the two front legs come up. 
So just stay relaxed. The spider will be relaxed. Everything will be good. Well, that's not how it was scripted. So, uh, and like I said, Walter did a great job acting. The scene was, you we're going through the scene. We're in the school hallway. And the director calls action. And then he calls freeze. We all freeze in place. And then the guy comes in, takes his tarantula, puts it on Walter's shoulder, facing away from Walter's face. And then runs out of scene, and the director calls second action. And we pick up right where we left off, except now that there's this huge spider in the scene, and we all react. Well, Walter had the best reaction. Walter kind of, we're like, oh, dude. You know, and he turns, he's like, and you see it build, and he's just like, and the thing starts to turn real slow at, at first. And then Walter lets out this scream. And this thing, wham, turned around. Two front legs came up, and I'm like, they said that's bad. <laughs> very very bad and like a ninja before this thing could attack and you see walter he's like you know wanted to wipe it off but didn't want to move and the guy comes in scoops it up off his shoulder and is out of the scene like you know flash gordon so for the rest of the day that scene was shot with a very big rubber spider <laughs> later walter took that spider home he lived in our house in an aquarium in the wall and he was named homie so there you go. <laughs> Very nice. Ava, thank you for that. And I have something new to ask Walter next time I host him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll remember. I'll, I'll blame you. Don't worry. Oh, he knows. That's okay. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Ava, thank you for that. Jude, what's next? From Nitro. Have you considered doing voiceover for anime or cartoons? Now, David, you, you, have, uh, you have been doing a lot of voiceover. Yeah, I mean, I got a chance to to meet the the sound engineers and stuff that were working not only on Power Rangers project, but they had other projects that they were working on. I was fortunate enough to to lend my voice to a number of projects that they were working on, film strips for schools. Uh, one was a like a Bible film strip, so I got to do the voice of God in that one, and so that was very a very interesting time. Had I stayed out in L.A. and and kept my foot in the door as far as the loop groups are concerned, I, I might have been able to do more cartoon or, or anime work. But after I left LA, uh, I moved back to the East Coast and did voiceover for a number of video games. And so that's that's how I made my living for a while after I left uh, LA. And, it, and it's very, it's not as easy as most people would think it is to, to provide voice work for these things. And you have to re have a real affinity for being in a booth and doing multiple takes of the same line over and over. You have to be just as committed and present when you're doing the voiceover as you are if you're on camera. If you've ever seen behind the scenes of actors who are doing voiceovers for cartoons or whatever, you can see that they put their whole body into it. The same way that some singers will put their whole body into their performance for a song. I mean, you really have to embody the character. It's not just, it's not just the vocals. So, so it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of work and it's, it's a very tough business to break, to break into. But uh, if you get a chance to do it, it can be a lot of fun and, and uh, somewhat lucrative for you. So, yeah. That's true. I did. Uh, I just did voiceover for the latest power Rangers game, which is out now. I did these long, uh, uh, did a, a couple of speeches, you know, thus before we go into battle, you know, blah, blah, blah. Wasn't quite Braveheart, but you get the point. And, uh, you know, then we defeated Tommy's army and all that stuff. So uh, there's some, there was some cool stuff. That's the most recent stuff I've done. I've got a video game I'm working on called Black Salt Corruption, which is coming out later this year. You know, voiceover for that is, is challenging for sure. And, you know, just like Dave says, you know, you got guys, uh, you get actors that are like, oh, I'm so happy. 
And you watch it and you're like, you know, I don't know if I really believe that. And then, thank you. And then, uh, you know, you've got other actors that you just look at and you don't have to be told they're happy. They don't have to drop the line. You see it, you experience it. And it's the same thing on a microphone. And it's a very intimate setting. And it's hard to bring a lot of energy to bear in an enclosed soundproof room that is dead silent, dead silent. No, you can't hear anything except your own voice in your earphones if you choose to use those. And you've got to deliver that same quality and the same energy on every take. So uh, yeah. it's a process. It's not easy. And I've got other stuff coming up too, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> no problem. So Jude, I think we got time for a few more. Let's roll the next one. From Brian. I bought everything Power Ranger related when I was growing up. Well, congratulations, Brian. Your parents <laughs> were very generous. What was the strangest piece of Power Ranger merchandise that you've ever come across? And let's say, let, let's let's narrow it down to license, or at the time you thought was officially licensed merchandise. I not I don't want to talk about the strange bootleg stuff. <laughs> oh, that, that's where all the fun, strange stuff yeah, comes from. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> your choice then. Your choice then, because I, 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 I wanted to give you guys a parachute just in case, but feel free. Well, I mean, you know, in because human beings are human beings, everything eventually gets turned into <laughs> some sort of pornography. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I, I'm hoping that's within the the family realm or whatever to, to be able to use that, but. I've seen a number of things that will raise your eyebrows and, and make you consider, okay, I don't I don't know if I necessarily need that, but it's out there. <laughs> I've seen that same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I also have seen that stuff tattooed in places no. on bodies that I was asked to autograph. The weirdest thing that I've had that was licensed came to me by a fully grown adult man. He brought me in a pair of underwear. They look like five-year-old boy underwear. And uh, the Red Ranger was, you know, right on the front, prominent. And he goes, would you autograph these? And I'm thinking, ooh, uh, exactly how did we, we clean those? Because while washing clothes at my house seems good enough, these aren't mine. I'm thinking washing them at your house is probably not good enough to make me feel comfortable touching me. In the end, I did. I signed them and, uh, you know, he went on his way. But uh, that one struck me as, uh, as weird. Yeah. I'm glad you have them. <laughs> yeah. You sign them, you know. And as a guy, you're looking at these going, I swear if I see a stain or a discoloration, because the game is over. It's, it's, so, it's so amusing to, to, to know that a, a show that, that's very sort of – G-rated, a, a lot of uh, <laughs> it. It has become much more intimate th than that for some people, and and that's very strange. But hey, you know whatever floats your boat, man. <laughs> I should I should screen cap some uh, private messages and uh, photos that I get from social media that that might help you uh, understand. <laughs> Brian, thank you for taking us down that rabbit hole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dude, next question, quickly. <laughs> so, I'm kind of hung. If you guys were to pitch a new Power Ranger series, what would be the theme? Wow, new Power Rangers theme. That's that's a really hard question because there have been so many different 
fan takes that I've seen or, or that people have presented to me that, that are really, really cool that take the series off into different directions. I think it would be interesting if we, if we explored a lot more of the Morphin Grid's past rather than the, the sort of formula that, that we see year in and year out with five or six individuals who uh, transform into these superheroes and, and battle against a, a nefarious force. If we could go in more in depth into what actually creates the Morphin Grid, why, why this force feels it necessary to defend the universe throughout time or whatever, I, I think that might be interesting. But I think that would take a lot of research and a, and a lot of people trying to develop, you know, m- much like the, the Star Wars universe has its Knights of the Old Republic, which is way in the past before the the start of Luke Skywalker and his saga. It might be interesting to see what would happen, you know, far, far back in the Power Rangers past, but that would be just my take on it. I don't know. Yeah. That's I, pretty I, cool. Yeah. I think uh, something that would be interesting is one of the things we've always seen in Power Rangers is that they're unified. They're together. They always confront as a team and conquer and overcome uh, whatever evil is out there. I wonder what it would be like if all the Power Rangers forgot they were Rangers, but still held their power minus the suits and met each other in maybe a post-apocalyptic setting where everybody is for each his own survive, where it's not always a happy, you know, more an adult themed. I would like to see something adult themed, uh, not, you know, rated X, but for those of us who understand it, you know, like, what was the Batman where they were in Gotham and, you know, it got really, really dark. I would love to see a darker version of Power Rangers where maybe there's there's battles amongst themselves all over access to clean water or, you know, food or shelter or something where they've had the ability to grow up and go off on other planes and be individuals without a team, having no memory of ever having been a team. I think that would be just a whole nother direction. And uh, I, I wonder how that would go. I think that that might be interesting. We lose the suits, we lose the swords. It becomes focused on the people and yeah. whatever talents or strengths they had as people. I, I wonder how that would go. I think both these ideas are would be worth exploration. Certainly, uh, yeah. Uh, pitch it to whoever owns, who owns the comic rights now? Is it IDW? I forgot. Bam, uh, no. Uh, no, is it? The boom? I should know. Is it boom? Oh, yeah. Boom. Yeah. 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 If any, if any editors from Boom are watching, I'm sure you have these gentlemen's numbers. So <laughs> bring them on in. Uh, I think we have time for one more question. So I'll ask Jude to see if we can pull a really good one from our audience. Uh, from Ava. Uh, why do you think The Power Rangers is such a timeless show? I, I think it has a lot to do with the theme of uh, standing up for your friends, standing up against oppression. I also think it has a lot to do with the fact that it could be anybody in the suit. The first superhero that people talk about that was fully covered is Spider-Man. Stan Lee talks about how, uh, you know, that was the first concept design where you never saw some portion of the hero's face. And, you know, he talks about that's why Spider-Man was so popular is that it could be anybody in the spider suit. And that's that's very true for Power Rangers. It can be anybody in the blue suit or the black suit or the yellow suit, the red suit, wh- whichever one. It could be anybody. And so that's why I think a lot of the kids, aside from them actually having the physical 
toys in their hands, you know, the day the show aired, that was a big part of it too. But I think the fact that it's just that it could be you inside the suit, I think that's why it's timeless and why every generation sort of adopts it as their own because yeah, that's me. I could be that. Yeah. I like that. I, I think in addition, I think one of the other things the show did is it provided for people in 40 countries and 40 languages and countless cultures, races, all of the above. It provided each of them over the history of the show and a hundred plus Rangers and a, and a bunch of sidekicks and a bunch of bad guys. It provided something where anyone from somewhere in the world could look at this, even out of the suit and say, you know what? That's the guy or the girl I want to be, or that's, that's, I wish that guy was my big brother. Or that guy was, you know, the little sister I never had or the big sister I never had, or, you know, I wish that it, we kind of filled in the blanks for whatever I think a lot of people may have felt was missing yeah. in their childhood. And I think that that is part of what made it so endearing. Aside from the fact that the cast, they do a great job casting. There's always really good chemistry amongst the, the castmates, but I think we don't, we're not stuck in any one vein, any one line. Yeah. We cross all boundaries and we do it without creating judgment. Everyone is accepted. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that is a pretty damn special place to be. Yeah, I, I think that was a really huge part of those early episodes is that you had these five kids who knew each other and liked each other and, you know, stood up for one another. And right. I, I think that was a huge part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And women, they were just as strong as the men. The men, everybody, everybody had their place and they, they were able to manage their, their struggles and they got help when they wanted it or needed it. And sometimes when they didn't think they needed it. And where is that not applicable to real life? So I, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. Absolutely. GalaxyCon viewers, this has been our time with David J. Felding and Austin St. John. Gentlemen, before we go, do you have any final words? Thank you for joining us today. For all of us here at GalaxyCon, we look forward to having you back on our stages in front of your fans and to our audience today. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care and keep washing those hands. <laughs>